Welcome to Schneps Connects. I'm your host, Josh Schneps. We have a great episode covering another community in Manhattan and a great uh, organization. Today, I have with me Jessica Lappin, who's the president of the Alliance for Downtown New York. It's an organization that manages New York City's and the country's largest bid and works to ensure that Lower Manhattan, essentially everything south of Chamber Street, is a thriving and dynamic community. Jessica is a lifelong New Yorker, a former elected official, and has a distinguished record in civic life and public service. She served two terms in the New York City Council, representing the Upper East Side, Midtown East, and Roosevelt Island, and played a key role in bringing the Cornell Technion Applied Science and Engineering Campus to Roosevelt Island. Jessica lives in Manhattan with her husband and two sons. She graduated from Georgetown University, magna cum laude, wow, and from Stuyvesant High School here in New York City. So Jessica, it's great to have you with me. Thanks so much. Oh, thanks for having me. So talk a little bit about your role and, and the role in history of the Downtown Alliance, if you don't mind. No, I mean, for, for me, my role in large part is being a cheerleader uh, for the neighborhood, which I, I really enjoy. As you mentioned, I went to Stuyvesant. I worked for the Speaker of the City Council at 250 Broadway and then served in the council at City Hall. So I have spent right. many decades downtown, more waking hours probably. And, uh, you know, just I love the neighborhood. So being able to promote it, advocate, try to, to encourage it, its growth over the last seven years has been really a treat for me. And, and I would say, you know, partly because of, you know, that personal relationship I've had with the neighborhood, but certainly the the role it's played sort of in history not just in our city but in our country it's a yeah. it's a special place and you know the alliance itself was formed over 25 years ago when when the neighborhood was really down on its heels in the late 90s mm. and um you know we've we've had our ups and our downs we were really making great progress and then clearly 9-11 knocked us down uh we then you know sort of were, were chugging along and of course we had the uh, the economic crisis in 08, Superstorm Sandy, uh, now COVID. So we we've had our ups and downs, but you know we are very aware that we have come back time and time again. Yes. It takes time, uh, but we have, and so you know it's a it's a really resilient, gritty, authentic place. So let's talk about the pandemic and the state of downtown. You know, obviously. Every corner of the city has been impacted, but some in, in really different um, ways. What can you tell in terms of the status of downtown now and and also just any of the things that you're working on now to get out of the pandemic? Yeah, sure. I mean, clearly it, it's hit not just the city, but the world. Uh, and, you know, I think for us, the, the challenges at the very beginning were, of course, trying to get information out there to people mm -hmm. about what was open and what wasn't, where you could uh, go get prescriptions filled or as time went on, get masks, uh, get vaccines. But of course, you know, really trying to help our businesses survive as best as, as we could. And mm -hmm. it, it uh, without the foot traffic from the office worker population, you know, it's no surprise, it's really, it's been tough on our small businesses. You know, we do have 65,000 residents downtown now, which is tremendous, but, you know, we typically would have 300,000 people working downtown on, on any given day. So I think for us, uh, in addition to sort of the public safety measures and keeping the neighborhood clean and safe, it was, it was what can we do to help these small businesses? Mm -hmm. And so, 
fairly early on, we partnered with Brookfield Properties, with Silverstein Properties, with Howard Hughes, and created a grant fund of $600,000 that was to help businesses specifically pay for their rent um, in April or May. We then, you know, started to hear from restaurants, for example, that they were being really price gouged by, you know, the the Grubhubs, the Seamless, the Uber Eats Mm -hmm. of the world. So we intervened, we helped get some legislation passed in the city council to limit that. But then, you know, hearing from them, you know, we found a a software developer who helped us create a, a platform for them where they could eliminate the middleman if they wanted to and sort of take and process orders on their own. And, and they did that for free. Uh, we also worked with this company called Street Sense. Uh, we paid for them to do consultations with businesses where they would come in and say, here's how you reconfigure your space to make it COVID friendly, to make it safer so that customers feel comfortable coming in. So, you know, there were there were other things. Those are just a few examples. But we we tried to be creative, to be responsive to what we were hearing uh, businesses needed the most. I mean, again, within the power of what we can do to just try and help them keep going and, and survive. You know, I would say despite everybody's best efforts, there were probably, well, just shy of 200 businesses that, that have closed during the pandemic. Uh, somewhat remarkably, I would say we have um, 69 retailers who have opened oh, during the that. pandemic. So it hasn't been all bad news. Some people trying to be optimistic and take advantage of, of uh, lower rents and other things. Mm-hmm. But, you know, it's it's been, you know, I think those have been, you know, in, in, in some of our sort of direct support ways, the biggest challenges that we have seen. You know, and in our restaurants, again, some of them have done well. Some of them have really struggled. Uh, we partnered with Rocco Despirito, who's uh, you know the celebrity chef. Yeah. Uh, you know he lives not not too far from our our area downtown, and again pro bono he was great. He stepped in. He created a virtual program for us called uh, Dine Around Downtown Cooking at Home, and he's been interviewing chefs on a regular basis, a weekly basis, and they've been teaching people how to make, you know, sort of a signature dish from the Fulton restaurant or from Delmonico's restaurant or Nobu um, Mm -hmm. or others. Um, And that's been hugely popular. And in fact, we've had at this point, well over 3000 people who've come and and participated. Um, We do it on Thursdays. And, uh, and then by the way, we've used that as a vehicle to raise some money where the restaurants uh, have picked charities they wanted to donate to. And so there have been about 10 charities we've been able to support. So we've been busy trying to <laughs> trying to help. I love it. I love the creativity. You know, you can't take for granted how much support small businesses need. You know, corporate America obviously had to pivot, but they have resources where a lot of the small business owners are doing it themselves. So it's great that you're providing all that support. Well, and by the way, when, when our businesses come back and we're really eager Right. The government brought people back this week mm-hmm. huge mm-hmm. for us downtown. Yes. But, you know, it's symbiotic. They need places to eat lunch. Right. So we wanted these businesses to stay afloat because every business is a dream. Every business is some family who's invested everything. Right. So for them, but also for the, the workers, the residents, they need places to go. Yes. We'll talk about the return because, you know, just a few days ago, uh, you know, it was announced that the city workers are coming back and they started this week, the week that we're speaking, which is the first week of May. 
So have you seen any um, real difference? Obviously, it's only been a, a couple of days, but what, what feedback are you hearing? Is it, is it able to make a difference? I mean, listen, we welcome back every office that wants to bring, bring back workers. Mm-hmm. It's, it's hugely helpful to us. We, um, you know, it's interesting. I don't have stats for you, but I can say last week, this week, walking around downtown, it does feel a little different. You know, the subway was a little bit more crowded yesterday. I take mm-hmm. the four to five, typically. And, you know, I think, one, the vaccinations have really rolled out, I think, faster than people expected, frankly. Sure. And that plus, uh, you know, the, the mayor, the governor signaling that we're going to reopen sort of fully within, mm-hmm. you know, the, the summer months. Um you know, and I think that mentally people, there's a little bit of a, a switch that has flipped of people feeling more comfortable being out, eating out, right? So I think it's, as I said, it's going to be gradual. Even the city workers, they're not like all back day one, five days yeah. a week, but every little bit really helps. And it's, um, there is a little bit more energy on the streets I've noticed the last couple of weeks. Well, it's great to hear that you don't just rely on stats. I think that that is the best way. You know, we talk about as a community media, the best way to get good stories or find out how business is doing is just get out there and talk to them. So, you know, it's great that you are the front line, really, for a lot of uh, the community. Well, thanks. Yeah, we we, we try. And, um, you know, and the other thing we're doing is to try to give people reasons to come back, mm-hmm. not just the patriotic ones, but in terms of art and culture. And, you know, finding things to celebrate, you know, we've all been in mourning and, and had, it's been a rough year for, for everyone. So as we kind of emerge from this pandemic, to, to find things to celebrate about New York and about the neighborhood and about each other. And so I think that the arts are part of what make New York, New York, why mm-hmm. we suffer through some of the hardships of living here. Right. Um, and it's really kind of in our in our DNA from Broadway to the, the street buskers. And so so one thing we're doing in, in May is a, is a, a two weekend outdoor festival called Downtown Live, where we have uh, partnered with two great groups, On Guard Arts and The Tank, to produce this festival with uh, artists that you may or may not have heard of, but they're excellent Pulitzer Prize finalists, uh, TV stars, uh, composers, and you know, some, some real up and comers as well. Um, and that is gonna be in three unique kind of outdoor spaces downtown for mm-hmm. New York Plaza, 85 Broad Street and uh, One Battery Plaza. It is ticketed to make sure that it's safe, but it is free. And so, you know, we, we've sold quote unquote sold over a thousand tickets already, but for sure, if, if uh, people are watching this, listening to this and are interested, we would love to have you join us in, in May. And then actually the same group was working independently over at Brookfield Place on an installation called A Dozen Dreams. And that's an immersive show that captures the dreams of 12 female playwrights. Um, and that opens mid-May, uh, again, ticketed at Brookfield Place. And where can they go to get tickets? Where should someone go? They, well, they can certainly check out um, our website, downtownny.com, to learn more about Downtown Live. Um, and Brookfield Place has their own website if they wanted to, to learn more about A Dozen Dreams. And then, of course, you know, this got very well covered, but the Tribeca Film Festival is coming back. That's exciting, yes. It's 
fantastic. And it's coming back to its roots. You know, as everybody knows, it was created post 9-11 to celebrate downtown very specifically. And so they're going to use the park in the battery as sort of their, I would say, one of their premier uh, show hubs. And so, I mean, they will have screens in other parts of the city, but the battery is going to be really their kind of premier location. So we're thrilled about that. That's a couple of weeks in June. Uh, I'm not sure how they're going to be handling ticketing quite yet. And then we have a sort of a fun thing. We had announced this pre-pandemic and put it on pause, but somebody who we are calling the Explorer in Chief, uh, he nice. is Josh Katz. He moved into a long-term hotel, the Mint House, just last weekend, and he will be out and about in the neighborhood as sort of a, an influencer, but a communicator to promote what's happening in real time as we're starting to emerge and sharing stories, doing tours, having some great meals. He's a great photojournalist um, with a, a pretty significant following on social media. And um, well, we're going to have to talk after how we can collaborate. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. I mean, I think it's it'll be, you know, to your point about it's nice to sometimes not just have stats, but have a look and feel of what's happening on the ground. Josh will be doing that for us every day, you know, sure. sort of showing the world on Instagram and TikTok and other forums. And here's here's what the reawakening is, is looking like downtown. You know, in addition to people, you know, working downtown, a lot of times you think of downtown as a tourist destination, whether it's, you know, uh, the World Trade Center or whether it's, you know, taking uh, the uh, ferry to the Statue of Liberty. So how reliant is downtown on foreign tourism? And what are you seeing in terms of planning for for tourists or are you going to focus on more tourists from the area? Well, I mean, for sure, we have become one of the must-see stops when people come to New York and they want to see the 9-11 Memorial mm -hmm. Statue of Liberty was always there, but, but for sure. And there's no sort of, I mean, it, it was, it's been tough. Millions and millions, over 10 million people didn't come, right? Yeah. Who would come. Yes. So our hotels have really struggled. Uh, we've had three that have closed permanently mm. and another, you know, 10 give or take that, you know, are, are shuttered, we hope temporarily. So I don't, I don't want to sugarcoat that. It's been tough for us. What I think has been nice setting aside the hotels is to your point, the people who are coming are, are locals. And, you know, I, I can't tell you, I did it myself. I walked, I met a friend in Brooklyn one lovely weekend day and walked over the Brooklyn bridge downtown, yep. we sat out at the seaport. We had a drink. I, I mean, I, I used to do that all the time in high school. I can't tell you the last time I did right. because Brooklyn Bridge was always totally crowded with tourists. Mm. I was talking to a woman the other day, a friend from Georgetown, who said, you know, my husband and I went to the Statue of Liberty. We had never done it. And it just seemed like the right time. So it is fun. People are local locals and people from the tri-state area are, are coming to do the things that they had never done, bucket list type things. So, you know, I think I'm hopeful now that, you know, you don't have to quarantine that the restrictions are coming to an end, that, that people will start to come back. I don't know about international, you know, this summer for all the obvious reasons. They stay the longest and they spend the most, which is the great thing about international travelers. Yeah. But even just welcoming back domestic um, and, and tri-state people, you know, I think we're excited. We're excited for that. I think we have to promote people being tourists in their own city, like you were talking about, taking advantage of our own 
you know, destinations that we don't get a chance to go to because we're so busy with our lives. Right. That restaurant that's been on your list forever that you mm-hmm. couldn't get into, like now is the time to go. Go out to Governor's Island for the day, which is stunningly beautiful, and you won't have to wait in line to take the ferry home like you normally do. Right. Right. So I, I, you're 100% right. This is a great opportunity for all of us to kind of explore our neighborhoods in new ways. So, you know, this is the month of May. We're talking about some of the events that are going on. It's National Bike Month. So downtown is known for its, you know, narrow streets. And I think, you know, it's interesting to see as people are running for office, it's like, Whoever could jockey to say they're going to put in the the most number of bike lanes is uh, is going to be the winner. But I'd love to hear you know what you are seeing in store for downtown in terms of you know transportation, you know alternatives like bikes and and other shared methods of transportation. Yeah, I mean we've always benefited from our subway access, our access to the yep. ferries to Brooklyn and, and New Jersey, but clearly walking to work, biking to work has become even more popular during and after the pandemic. Um, We have 2.3 miles of bike lanes downtown. And, you know, I would say even before, about 20% of those who work downtown either walk to work or bike to work. Um, And if they live downtown, it was even, it was 30%. So we've always had kind of a, a decent culture, you know, because you can walk or bike over the Brooklyn Bridge or take the Staten Island Ferry or, you know, even, even come just from Manhattan south of 23rd Street, it's a pretty short bike ride, you know, 15 minutes or less, frankly, from anywhere south of 23rd Street and even, you know, the neighborhood, waterfront neighborhoods in Brooklyn. Yes. So, you know, I think DOT has, you know, be taken advantage of the quiet and uh, they installed a protected bike lane on Broadway from City Hall to Bowling Green sort of during this past year. So that's new and very helpful. And there are some you know, ways to turn off of Broadway now, slower treatments and uh, signal timing changes, et cetera. So, and that's separate from the recent announcement about creating the two new lanes for bikes on the Brooklyn Bridge. Yes. Which, you know, huge. And obviously will help us in terms of people wanting to, to commute by bike. So, um, and, and we definitely saw that, um, you know, and this is a stat that, that our research team found, but that cycling over the four East River bridges during the pandemic was up by 55%. Mm. So people really are wanting to, to bike more. Um, and so the other thing we're, we've been doing is talking to other partners like the Port Authority and DOT about putting in more bike corrals and parking um, in places where it's appropriate. We had been pretty aggressive about that beforehand, just because the kind of tenants that were moving in downtown mm-hmm. were looking for that. But again, I think it's a it's a time where you know people are rethinking how they want to use space. So you talked a little bit before, obviously there have been closures, but that there have been openings. So I would love for you to just share maybe some of the businesses that have opened or if you're hearing that some businesses are now going to reopen. You know, the reopening is is a bit harder. You know, I think we've had all kinds of restaurants pop up. I don't have the list in front of me, but from, you know, a Thai restaurant on Peck Slip to, um, you know, fast casual kind of sprinkled throughout the district. Uh, there, There has been, you know, some sort of interesting changes. I mean, I think 
we think about that, you know, we also think about some of the tenants, the exciting new tenants who have moved into the district as well. And, and there have, you know, been some big announcements and, you know, Moet has been using this time to outfit their space mm. at the World Trade Center at Seven World Trade. And they're, you know, still planning to move in and they've built something pretty beautiful from what I gather. Uh, Golden Goose announced the, the, the Italian shoe design firm. They're actually moving onto our floor at 120 Broadway. They're going to be our neighbors on the, on the I don't want to say which floor. Resi, the reservation app. Another food startup called Remarkable Foods. So, I mean, look, it's it's the first quarter in terms of leasing, the last quarter of last year, you know, not good, <laughs> but, you know, compared to where we were historically. But we do have these few bright spots of people kind of remaining committed or choosing the neighborhood. And again, the brokers will tell you that they're starting to see an uptick um, in interest. So, you know, I, again, I think it's going to take a while for people to sort out what their needs are, but I've never been one who has thought the office is dead. In fact, I wrote an op-ed about it. The office is not dead. It's resting. Yes. But it's not, you know, to me, I'm with we're not, you. go ahead. What were you going to say, Josh? I'm with you on that. Yeah. I mean, we're not going to go back to how we were. Maybe, maybe we will. I don't actually know. I think it's probably likely that people will want to keep some of this flexibility and, and work-life balance, but you know, I can only speak for myself. I have two wonderful boys, a teenager and a 10 year old. And you know, the days that we're all here, it's hard to get out of the house, you know, with other people for sure. Yeah. And being in my office yesterday and, walking over to Bill's burger and getting a burger and seeing my senior team. And yeah, it just totally changes my mood. And, you know, in addition to sometimes being more productive. So, you know, I just, I don't, I don't see, I don't see everybody working from home forever. I don't. So what do you see as the future of downtown and if it's transformed in any way because of COVID, what, what do you think that is? You know, the future of downtown, I, I think, as I, as I was just sort of saying, I'm, I've been heartened to see that some of these tech creative firms are still embracing the neighborhood. And, you know, it all it all makes sense, right? If you're thinking about biking and walking, accessibility to Brooklyn, other places where they tend to live, it makes us even, you know, just as if not more attractive. I think that there will be, there has been and will be a greater embrace of the outdoors, mm-hmm. uh, you know, meaning, you know, the battery is such a beautiful asset. That I think sometimes local workers don't take full advantage of. It's a, an incredible park. And, you know, Governor's Island has been sort of in ascendance, but also very close. But even just being on the west side promenade or on the piers on the east side by the seaport, you know, I, I think people will have and will continue to value open space. So, you know, like how how the streetscape will sort out in different neighborhoods, that's interesting to me, right? Open streets, outdoor dining, which people loved. Mm. How does that become, and I, I would love for them to become permanent, but how? Meaning I was a big advocate for fast, let's do it. Let's help these restaurants. Let's get people outside. But, you know, it happened very quickly, very, you know, haphazardly. There are places, you know, that have seating and bus stops or tight side or whatever. So 
are there going to be design principles? Are there going to be rules about seasons? Or, you know, I think how we then negotiate making some of these really great changes permanent will be interesting to see. And you already have people saying, well, what about retail on the sidewalk? Or what about bike parking? Or what? It, all of these things are, um, you know, you have to sort of, it's like a jigsaw puzzle, right? And the one thing we can't make more of is space especially right so i think that will be interesting in terms of the look and feel of neighborhoods like downtown how that sorts out well jessica thank you so much for being on the show i really appreciate you sharing all about the downtown alliance oh my pleasure and come downtown eat with us bike with us dine with us you know would love to Make sure to subscribe to Schneps Connects wherever you get your podcasts or stream us online at podcast.schnepsmedia.com. Mm-hmm.